This is an ABC podcast. Our first child was a surprise. My partner and I hadn't known each other for very long at all. One, maybe two months. I had this identity that I was pretty proud of, I guess, but around my early 30s, it was starting to feel a bit vacuous. Without realising it, I was looking for a bit of a identity transformation and it just so happened that becoming a dad just really fitted the bill for me. The most challenging thing I think being a dad is to try to spend enough time with my daughter because as you, you can imagine working full time means I can probably only see her or play with her for like two hours a day and that's to me probably not enough. It's about putting yourself last in a lot of ways. So if you're um, in any way a self-obsessed person, uh, that can come as a shock and it's just not easy. You've got a lot of learning to do, a lot of perseverance you have to learn and every day is a new day. But as many people will say, it's the best job in the world if you can just get to understand what it's about. I'm Maggie Dent. And this is season three of Parental as Anything. Woohoo! Another big season full of tips, explanations, and answers to everything from what the heck moments to the total meltdowns. If you don't already know me, I'm a boy champion. I love girls too. And this is a podcast about parenting kids of all ages and all genders. However, one of my top goals as a parenting educator has been to help you raise your sons to be happy, healthy men, top blokes. And when top blokes grow up and have kids of their own, I want to help them become top dads. So this episode is all about how to be the top dad you really want to be. Let me start by saying every family is different. And I know plenty of kids do have a healthy, well-rounded upbringing without a dad. So I'm not making an episode about dads because I think they're the missing ingredient from the families with a single mum or two mums or an auntie or a grandma. Don't worry, mamas. I know you've got this. Actually, I'm making this episode about dads because I think many dads feel excluded from parenting education tools like blogs, books and podcasts. And that's a shame because there's never been a better time to be a dad. Dads are stepping up and finding their feet with big open hearts in ways that were once ridiculed. Just ask comedian, writer and dad Peter Hellier. I'm not sure if there's one lightning bolt moment where I thought, okay, I'm a dad. I mean, certainly when you see your your child born, that's that's an indication. Um, but I do remember there was a point where I was watching one of my boys play basketball in one of their finals. And it's a long-held family tradition that we go to Collingwood Games and we love the Collingwood Football Club. And I remember watching one of my boys play a basketball final and... And I took a moment to realise that my how much my heart was racing, how much my palms were sweating, how much this game actually meant to me. And I was watching 
Liam play, and I just so, I so wanted him to win. It's just so he could experience that joy. And I wanted that joy for him, and, um, and I was so emotionally invested. And I remember thinking, this means more to me than any Collingwood game. And that, that was, you know, a huge revelation to me. And I just remember saying to a friend a year, years later who was going through their kids and their sport, and he was maybe mildly complaining about it. And I just said, what else is there? If you can't be in the moment and just love watching your kids play sport, I don't know what's more joyful. I love hearing the smile in Peter's voice as he talks about those moments. And dads today share much more deeply the whole journey from conception right through to adulthood. And finally, they are being represented as valuable and capable. So let's talk about how important your role as dad is and how some pretty awesome dads have dealt with the unexpected challenges of fatherhood. Clark White is a conscious parenting advocate and the head of junior school at Guildford Grammar School. And most importantly, he's a father to a son and two daughters. Clark, you're at the other end of the parenting journey with a teen and adult kids. How did your expectations of fatherhood change over that time? Oh, it's changed so much around the way you view kids and their potential. I think early on, I was so focused on, I wanted them to be everything and I wanted to be a perfect parent and I just I wanted them to reach their potential um, and what I've realized over time is to allow them to emerge as their true selves be wonderfully them don't even come close to trying to be perfect and the great quote I heard one time was the universe gives you the kids you most desperately need to grow and develop and and I, we have three great fantastic kids who still teach me every day. I love that. And that's something I don't think parents are aware of. The natural fact being on the parenting journey is equally about us as it is about our kids. What worries do you hear that dads have about being a dad today? It usually centres around time. It's the number one thing that comes up is for dads to to live the life that they dream of and want to, but also to be really present for their kids and really present for their wives and partners. And a couple of tricks that have worked over time is one thing around, it's called the third space, is we often leave the office or leave the workplace and we, we get home and we come into the home with all the thoughts and, and problems we were dealing with at work and we walk into the front door with them. And that third space trick is to stop and take 30 seconds, a minute, 10 minutes, and actually transition your, your mind, body, and soul that you're actually going home to be present for your kids and present for your family. And the difference on your kids is amazing, the difference on your partner is amazing, but most profound differences on us as, as dads is we get to show up and, and we still have those worries, but we put them aside for the moment. And I've had so many dads tell me, and also I've witnessed it with my own sons, that when our toddler meltdown or our fierce four-year-old is giving us a bit of a lecture about how we could be a better parent, often dads actually feel that really deeply, personally, that in some way they're not being the dad they need to be in that moment. And, you know, they often take on the failures even more personally than we'd think they would. Oh, much more so. And and again, it hurts because you, you want to be a good father, you want to be a good dad, and our kids speak the truth to us, and sometimes it desperately hurts. But it is nice to know that we can step back from that and just get a little bit more perspective these days because we used to run and hide away from it, and now we, we fail forward into it. Can you share one of your absolute toughest moments as a dad? 
They all stem from that imaginary person that sits next to me, um, my, my shadow self, that wants my kids to be everything that I wasn't and everything that I'm hoping to be. You know, I was bad at math, so you're going to be good at math, or I didn't make it as an athlete, so you're going to make it an athlete. Having that voice in my head and trying to quiet that voice has been my biggest challenge. The other one is some great wisdom, Maggie, that I got when I was a very young parent. I was 24 when I had my first, uh, when we had Carter, our daughter, and he said, Try never to say, I can't wait until they can blank. I can't wait until they walk. I can't wait till they can ride a bike. I can't wait till they can leave the house. Just enjoy the moment they're in. And that's been the biggest challenge for me is just to enjoy the moment they're in, whether it's the terrible twos, the terribly terrific threes, all the different titles we have. <laughs> I'm a firm believer that it's okay to have different ways to do stuff as parents. What's the impact <laughs> of having different mum and dad expectations at home? I think it's natural to have different expectations, but it does come down to having a conversation early, early on about what do we value as parents? And too often we get so busy parenting that we haven't actually taken a step back and say, what do we want them to be at the end? What are the values we want to live by as we're raising our children? Because those values are so similar, the, the ways we get there can be completely different. And the other one too, Maggie, and, and we talk about this a lot, is leveraging the strength of either parent. Leanne has a significant strength in really dealing with details. I love the tough conversations, sex, drugs. You know, I love having those conversations with my kids. So we actually have to look at what are we good at and then focusing on those rather than, than what are we different at. Men often tell me they struggle with like cleanliness. Why are, are mum's standards so much higher than dad's? And then also remembering stuff like, let's be honest, where's my socks? Most kids would ask mum, not dad. So what else can you give us there? Oh, I think it's been a little bit easy on each other too. I think one of the hardest things is that um, we expect so much from ourselves and often our failings we project onto our partner. So it's actually just being able to acknowledge that they're really good at some things. Parenting means we have to spend as much time together working on a relationship as we do working on parenting. You know, date nights disappeared for us for years and years, but grabbing a cuppa and disappearing out the back just to share a cup of tea together around the corner for five minutes was a way for us to reconnect as adults and as partners, and it actually makes parenting better. Oh, look, I think there's nothing better than, than parents hugging and pashing in front of their kids to remind them that uh, this is what it's really all about. A hundred percent, Maggie. We've ended up co-sleeping with the kids and that was just out of necessity. It just, we couldn't manage otherwise. I find that a really special time at the end of the day, being able to cuddle up and sleep next to your child. It, it's really quite special and I, I look forward to it. One of the challenges, I suppose, is how things are constantly changing. You finally get into the routine and the rhythm of something and then the child changes their needs. And you go, well, the goalposts keep moving. And just because it's convenient for you for the goalposts to be in a certain position, and you have to keep working and working and working and adapting around the ever-changing needs of a child. And then when our one-year-old came along, we kept thinking that she was gonna be exactly the same and have the exact same you know, progress as her big sister. And she wanted things completely differently. Now, I want to talk to another really top dad. And even though he's much newer to the role, the way that he's so enthusiastically embraced it, it's exactly what makes my heart sing when I think about modern fatherhood. Usher Ginsberg, lots of people know you from the telly, Australian Idol, The Bachelor and The Masked Singer, but you also host Dad Pod, the podcast you started with your mate, Charlie Clawson, because you're both new dads. 
How old is your little man now? Well, I'm a new dad of a baby, but I'm a stepdad of a 16-year-old. So I've been in the dad job for <laughs> six years, and I've been in the dad job of a baby for 10 months. What's it been like to find your feet as a dad? You know what? I guess it's a, it's a bit easier than with a 10-year-old. <laughs> the problems of a newborn are pretty simple. Are you awake? Do you need to sleep? <laughs> are you hungry? Do you need to feed? That's about it. He's at this point now, he's at 10 months now, right? And so his brain, it, apparently his brain is going through this colossal exponential growth situation and he'll open his eyes after a nap and I'll see I'll see like 10 or 15% more going on. And he has this look in his face, Maggie. It looks like my eyes after I had maybe just done drugs. He's like, whoa, <laughs> hey, God, have you felt this? Have you felt how soft this is? You can see it in his head. It's like, well, of course you've got that look in your eye, bud. Your brain is just... It's exploding like a New Year's Eve fireworks show inside your skull. <laughs> of course you can't sleep. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> it's really hard work parenting. Every new parent, let's go to the ones first time round, kind of knows that there's going to be some sleepless nights and, and smelly nappies. But what, what do you reckon has been an unexpected challenge with Wolfie? Well, uh, look, firstly, if you've got a problem with poop, you're going to need to make a just a choice to not have a problem with poop because your baby will have the ability to poop, wee, fart, <laughs> vomit, sneeze, jet snot, spit, cry, laugh, giggle, chuckle, and cry all at once. It's like a small little explosion and you're going to get covered <laughs> in all of it and you can get upset by that or you can just go, eh, and I would recommend the, uh, because otherwise you're going to have a real tough time, man. Um, the biggest unexpected challenge for Wolf, I was aware that the reduction of worth of the mother to all I do is feed and need to sleep as a sense of self can happen. And I was not prepared for how powerfully that manifested and I didn't know how to alleviate that. And I didn't know what to do around that. And it took a bit of time to figure that out as to how can I support her and empower her sense of self outside of that role and that she was much more and meant much more to me and Georgia. But I get that. When you're not getting full REM cycles for 10 weeks in a row, that's going to mess with your mental health. And I have had other dads say the same thing to me. And many of them felt really like they had failed in some way rather than responding to just Mother Nature's kind of weird stuff that goes on when you've got either breasts or you're the one that feels softer to land on. I did have to deal with that. And at first I was a bit like, no, leave me alone. I can do this. I'm his dad. I can settle him as well. And that was just my ego. Really? That was just my, yes, that was just my <laughs> ego jumping in the way. And then it wasn't long before I realised I just don't have the hormonal signals emanating out of my body that this boy needs right now. But if I pass him to Audrey, they have this extraordinary um, pheromone communication or hormonal communication. I don't know what yep. it is. 
it's just something that I don't have. And once I accepted that, it's like, okay, well, I can do everything else I can until we have to then push the big red button and that's the mum cuddle. Yeah, and basically you just didn't smell good enough. So you're also <laughs> a stepdad yeah, to a, a teenage girl and we know the research around that relationship is so significant about the importance of fathers and often it's a time where girls and dads can get a bit wobbly about connecting. But how do you have a really meaningful connection as a father figure in uh, in G's life? There was some really important advice I had for Georgia. And bear in mind, I, I was there when she was 10, 11 years old. 11 was when I moved in. It had only been Audrey and Georgia. So Audrey had raised her by herself. And so to bring a th- another person into this relationship was a big deal for this kid. The great advice I was given was, you're not her father. Don't try to be her father. Just be a person of integrity in her life and she will choose the depth and the level of the connection. And that was quite tough for me because I fell instantly head over heels into adoration for this human being and very quickly understood that I would willingly give my life to save hers. If it meant pushing her out of the way of a bus and I'd get squished like a grape, I'd do it in a click of a finger. And to then not feel that reciprocated was very, very tough. You know, we talked about pheromones. There's a mate of mine who's in a similar position, and he's actually uh, he's actually in primate research, <laughs> and um, and so he speaks in this really interesting way. Uh, and we were discussing. I said, "Did that happen to you?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, it's because there's another male in the house that isn't her father's pheromonal signature, so it triggers an early onset of puberty." It's like, "Oh, oh, that's why." <laughs> And so very, very quickly after I arrived, Georgia went from being a little girl to growing into the young woman that she is now. And so the advice that I was given there was, yes, they'll ignore you. And yes, they won't listen to a thing that you say, but your job is to be there for them to ignore. Once I reframed that, it helped dealing with all of that. You know, when we'd have those interactions, about, okay, well, my job is to stand here and be a solid boundary between her and the world. Yeah, so my good bloke, um, Steve, turned up in my life with my four sons and um, the boys were very clear about what they expected of him and his job was to uh, be my main backup and make me happy and if I, he did that job, then they were going to be a lot better with him. What was the age range of your boys when he showed up? 13 down to 6. Whoa, Yeah, he just took on a whole, like, football team heading into adolescence. Steve, holy moly. (laughs) So you've been very open about your mental health battles over the years, and we all know that having a baby because of the lack of REM sleep and a whole heap of other things can be quite triggering. And we do focus a lot on postnatal depression for mothers, But do you think we're doing enough to recognise mental illness in new fathers or in the whole fathering journey? Uh, Look, I can't speak for everyone, but I think it's something that dads should be aware of and men should be aware of in that you may not understand the ramifications of suddenly realising that it's no longer about you. (laughs) (laughs) And... Your sense of self and your sense of purpose and the sudden realisation of I've got to provide. We're about six weeks, eight weeks away from Wolfie getting born and I've been off meds for about 18 months and 
I was starting to slip off the edge again. I'd been quite ill in the past and I was starting to slip off the edge again. And Audrey wonderfully just took me aside and she said, I can see you're not coping. You need to talk to your psychiatrist about getting back on meds because I need you around for this baby. And mm. one of my mentors once taught me, uh, the problem with crazy people is they don't know they're crazy. Uh, <laughs> I, it, very hard for me to tell when I'm on the inside of it to know. So just keep an eye out. If everyone else is starting to get really annoying and you're starting to get shorter and shorter and weirder and weirder, maybe go and, go and check in with somebody. Go and check in with someone that's not using your brain to think about things. That is pure gold, Usher. If I, as a parenting educator, wanted to give you some advice, that's it. But I have got some good news that I got from an evolutionary biologist once. I love it. He said on the birth of the first baby, a man's brain does a massive growth because Mother Nature said, holy heck, we better do a bit of growth on this or he's going to not be very good at keeping the baby alive or the mother alive. So there is a really good spurt of growth at your very first baby. That would explain the feeling that I had in my head. I could feel the neuronal pathways firing as I sniffed his little head. The oxytocin that was getting released in my body was it was the feeling that I wanted from every drug I ever took. <laughs> I absolutely love that and um, and I love your I just love your enthusiastic real dad who just owns up to the crap and the good bits because really that's life, isn't it? I so loved Osha's fascination with the science of parenting, didn't you? His fascination with hormones and pheromones and neurological development will be really useful as his children grow throughout the years. Clark White, you know I have a soft spot for teens and we know we need to fill them with extra love and attention, especially when they don't deserve it, and when they pull away from us. So can you talk to me about the need for dads to still hug their kids, but particularly their sons? Well, definitely. And, it, and this is sons and daughters too, because so many men stop touching their daughters and stop hugging their daughters as they start to mature and hit puberty. And it's actually when we need to actually connect with our daughters. And the same thing with our sons, when they do the old bull, young bull, pulling away thing, we need to connect with them. And touch is such an important part. So, you know, we joke around is, is hugs in tight places, is that you almost have to stalk them and hide around the corner in places in your home that they don't, they don't see you and they're coming down and you almost launch out and hug hug them really tight, say, I love you, and then separate away. And they'll go, oh, what'd you do that for? Uh, but actually the endorphins and the feel-good chemicals and the I matter to you is in their brain and in their body. Now, a lot of mums know the importance of the support network, you know, the coven of fellow mothers who will offer support, advice, uh, wine. I had girlfriends that would turn up with cake and coffee when I was, you know, struggling. So how can dads build that same sort of network? Because it makes a difference. That's the one thing we need to focus on the most is, is too many men do this in isolation and we need to do it in groups in a village. And we need to be comfortable talking about how hard it is to parent, how hard it is to be in relationships. How do we actually work through this together? We need to build those networks up. It's men's sheds, but for anybody, it's groups, it's getting together and it's having one or two people say, I'm having a really bad day. I'm really struggling with my kids. And then once you do it, it's amazing. As you know, Maggie, men will open up. Can we give them permission? Come on, turn up, ask somebody else, how are you doing with your teenage son or daughter? Let's have a chuckle and see if we can work out how we can do this without just being known as grumpy and not easy to get on with. So, Clark, if you could write a short list 
for all the dads out there about how to be that top dad that they want to be, what's on the list? Okay, so let's do this together, Maggie. Let's make it together. So one would be put down your phone when you're with your kids. Oh, yes. <laughs> Just be present. Enjoying the micro moments. It's not about the big adventure. It's not about the trip somewhere. And it can be those, but it's actually about the time that you spend with your kids. You're fully present, and it can be... 30 seconds to 30 minutes, but we get away from the internet and we actually just connect at their level. Love their mother with them or without them, never speak ill of their mother in front of the kids. It's a powerful reminder of how to be a great man and, and the future relationships they need to have. Be fun, be yourself, laugh and cry in front of us, be on time. Kids really value dads who are on time to things. And when you show up at home, can you leave work behind, please? And one other I'd like to throw in is create your own unique family ritual or welcoming strategy that only you do, whether you could step into the house and, you know, whistle, fart, whatever you do, or you take your kids out to watch the stars or you sing ACDC songs in the car. Create something unique that only happens with dad. And that also is a gift, you know, if ever dad has to leave the planet. It's those little things done often that make all the difference on feeling connected and loved to your kids. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and you know, again, to I think for the list for all of us would be perfect doesn't exist or, you know, you're okay as you are. Just be you. Exactly. Let's hear from one more top dad about how he shows his 19-year-old daughter how much he loves her. So you may have heard of him. He's like, you know, a rock star, Tim Rogers. She's drawn her family in Spain, her, her mum and her stepdad in, in New York and old me here. I think there's the possibility that she feels tugged and, and dragged, you know, God, please be with us, please be with us. So at the moment, what I think is most valuable is to not do that to her and just to listen to her. We have, have phone talks and, and Skype talks and... I think a kid being listened to is really important. I, I give my opinions on things, but just to listen to her and to have that patience. I hear every day from mums who are struggling to find the confidence to be the parent they want to be or who are being way too hard on themselves because they don't believe they are being the parent that they're supposed to be. I don't hear as often from dads who feel that way, but I worry that's because you suffer in silence. There are no stupid questions, seriously. It's always better to look for answers than ignore a problem. Co-parenting particularly is about being a team, that every one of us is part of the team. So once again, have those conversations. Don't back away from them. We will work out how we do this together and that every now and then we need a tough conversation when things aren't working. It's not criticism. It's just we're working out better ways to be the parents that our kids need. This is really important, me time for mums as well as dads. And I'm a really firm believer that mums need times with their girlfriends and dads need times with their mates because it fills up our cup so that we can be even better in the home environment. And really, anytime you're stuck, the best way to step up at home is to model kindness. Your kids are watching you. They're watching how being kind makes a difference. We're not always right. We're not always perfect, but gee whiz, if we turn up being kind, that can make a world of difference. 
All this talk about being a dad in the 21st century reminds me of a fantastic interview that I heard on Conversations with Richard Feidler when he spoke to actor William McInnes about his dad and his reflections on what it meant to be a dad. My father had this fantastic thing where he'd sort of mime turning a dial down on a radiogram right. like, like that. He'd get more agitated, <laughs> like he was having some sort of fit. And then he'd just, for Christ's sake, shut up! My dad was always saying in the kitchen, get out from under my feet. You're under my bloody feet. Dad threats were the best. <laughs> Did you have to, you got you to make me get out of my chair? That's William McInnes on Being a Dad, and you can find that episode of Conversations on the ABC Listen app or in a podcast app like Apple or Google. Next time on Parental as Anything, do you have a gamer at home? What I break it down to is encouraging parents not to get into this battle of trying to take devices away. If you have a child that freely gives up the device, then awesome, take it from them, okay? But there probably will be a point in the teenage years where they will not do that. And I don't want you to start World War Three in your house over that. <laughs> we'll talk about how you teach your kids to enjoy video games without getting hooked on them. That's next on Parental as Anything with me, Maggie Dent. <laughs> 